0: The Pac-12 rule change about the championship game makes divisions basically obsolete. So if they do go away, what should change for scheduling and what should stay the same? Let's go. Our Locked On Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Pac-12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin, D1 play-by-play broadcaster. Thanks for making this your first listen or your first view if you're watching on YouTube every day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. This right here is your number one source to stay up to date with the Conference of Champions, which is why you should like and subscribe wherever you're listening to or watching the show. If you want to leave a comment, leave a nice five-star view on Apple Podcasts. Appreciate that as well this episode is brought to you by bet online bet online has you covered this season with more props odds and lines than ever before bet online where the game starts so this is a little bit uh, of projection on today's show just a little because i think it's perfectly reasonable to assume that if you're going to make a rule regarding the conference championship game that will render divisions completely unnecessary you're probably not going to have them in the future, but as I've been talking about this week and with guests on the show with regards to this rule, divisions are probably going to stay in place. They they, they will for sure this year, but maybe for next year, the season after, I, I would hope it's just this season so that they can move on and, and get to the sorts of scheduling changes that I'm going to propose here today for the conference, but for scheduling purposes, it adds some simplicity, some rotation, some you know structure, and it's a, a carryover from the way that the conference championship game now used to be decided. And by the way, for those of you watching on YouTube, I am indeed coming to you live from Black Butte Ranch at a rental house with my parents in Bend, Oregon. And it is uh, quite nice, I must say, but that's uh, the, the different studio that you're seeing here on YouTube. So you're with me wherever I go, which I very much appreciate, and I'm with you wherever you go, so yeah, it's kind of a ni- nice little two-way street there, but let's start with what should change with regards to Pac-12 scheduling if you make divisions obsolete, which they should be, and then you just go to 12 teams, straight up and down, no divisions. Let's start with what should change before we get into the things that, that should remain, because there are a couple, right? It's not like scheduling should be radically reworked, but there are some things I think you need to adjust if you're looking at it from George Klyovkov's perspective, and, and what could be in the best interest of the conference going forward. You have to schedule the big name brands every year. You you, ju- you just have to for a conference that is easily the weakest of the Power Five, both in its structure not not its structure, but in its uh, its depth of competitive teams and its national perception. The Pac-12 is undoubtedly the weakest right now you have to put on the field as often as possible i think regular season and in the championship game especially in the championship game that's why i like this new rule you need to put your biggest brands out there usc oregon utah right now are are your biggest biggest brands probably in that order right? USC has always been the biggest brand. They've just been dormant, right? Oregon, we, we know how nationally relevant they have been over the last decade and change. Utah, I think is starting to finally gain the national respect that they deserve. The last I saw USC was actually favored against Utah in, in their meeting, which is going to be in Salt Lake city. I believe maybe don't quote me on that. I've talked about it uh, before on the show, but you can, uh, you can double check that, but Anyway, I think those are your top three. got to have them all playing one another, right? And I don't think you group them together. I think you space them out a little bit because what you're thinking about is how you can get the most national exposure, right? That's what George Klyovkov's job is, or at least that's a part of his job, is to structure the media rights deal and the schedule in a way that maximizes the viewership, the eyeballs, the attention that is paid to Pac-12 football games. That's where your money's getting made in every... Every element of college sport, right? That's that's where that's where the money is coming in. Some men's basketball teams as well, but it's mostly football that needs to be your your flagship sport because it's the flagship sport in the United States and the finances of college athletics. So USC, Oregon, Utah, I think you play them every year. I, I think those are you know what you hear sometimes in the SEC is like protected rivalries, or in the Big Ten, I think they have those as well, where you're in a different division, but you're going to play that team every year. USC, Oregon, Utah, you got to have them. You have to have those sorts of matchups that teams are are going to circle on their calendars and say, okay, that's a big time game. And, you know, where fans within and outside the conference as well can look at and go, oh, those are big time brands. Those are big teams. And that's going to be a big time game and have conference championship, maybe even, or hopefully college football playoff implications as well. So I think you have those three. And then on a year by year basis, you know, Between the, the Washingtons, UCLA's, Washington State's, and Stanford's of the world, whichever one or, or a couple of them are on an upswing, then I think you put them into that mix as well, and you're deliberately going to ensure that they play those top three teams, which I think from a national relevance standpoint have differentiated themselves and everyone else sort of has to earn it, right? It's embedded with USC because... They're the only West Coast program to have won a national championship in the century, and they've won a couple. Oregon has been to several national or a couple national championship games, several, a couple, yada yada, yada. You understand what I'm trying to say. Utah was in an amazing Rose Bowl game this past season, thumped Oregon twice. That got people's attention. They've been close to the college football playoff game, they've been in the conference championship game three times. Those are the top three schools. That you have to look at and say, all right, these are our three biggest schools, or biggest programs, and we want them to go up against one another and whoever is going to be, in theory, the most competitive team that year. You can't predict it perfectly, but when you look at, you know, the past several seasons, UCLA a season ago, Washington State had a ten-win season with, with Mike Leach when they won an Alamo Bowl, ended it with eleven wins. You know, they reached as high as number six in, in the national rankings. I think that was two thousand eighteen. Maybe, you know, uh, Washington has been to the college football playoff. They're the last Pac-12 team to get there. Stanford, people know what they're capable of, right? You go back to the Andrew Luck, Christian McCaffrey days. They're winning conference championships and Rose Bowls and getting to big-time games. Those are the sorts of teams that you have to have playing each other every single year. Not basically every year. That should be an every-year ordeal. And, And, I mean, I mentioned the SEC a moment ago. Think about... What that conference does every year, and they do an amazing job, and they do a lot of things right because they're and they are the biggest and best for a number of reasons. But one of them is they create matchups in the regular season that everybody wants to watch, myself included. Right? We all know the SEC on CBS theme song. We all know it like the back of our hands, and that is you know uh, an iconic moment in college football that is carried on through the years. Vern Ludquist and uh, and Brad Nessler doing the play-by-play, Gary Danielson doing the color commentary with both of those guys. That's a moment that I as a college football fan cling to, right? And I look forward to every fall, but they create those matchups because of how their scheduling is done. And I'll tell you just how the Pac-12 can sort of replicate that after I remind you, our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Seriously, they have everything. All the latest odds, news and sports developments, this year's basketball playoffs, Major League Baseball scores, Go Mariners fights, and even next season's NFL futures. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. SEC football is It's known as the best, right? That's because it is the best, and they are set up in a way that allows them to create a tremendous amount of hype around regular season games, and they have these protected rivalries that go across the divisions in the SEC. You know you're going to get these games every year, right? Florida, Georgia, Bama, Georgia, Bama, LSU, right? I mean, there's a whole litany of them, right? You think about all those big-time matchups that occur throughout the course of the season. That's what the Pac-12 needs to look at it and say, all right, that's what we want to do. Regardless of what division you're in, whether or not divisions matter, we want to put our best teams up against each other every single year. You get Bama and Georgia in the regular season every single year even though they are in separate divisions. The way it works right now with the division structure is Oregon doesn't play USC every year. They play USC plays Utah every year because they're both in the Pac-12 South, but Oregon has missed Utah before, and Oregon has missed USC before. And as a result, you are missing out on a big-time game that people are going to care about. That's the way that I want the Pac-12 to approach this. I, I'm not a fan of you know, the the cyclical nature of how it's been under the divisions where you miss this team for two years and then they rotate back in and then you kind of just going in and out like, no, I, I want it to look the way, frankly, I would like all of college football scheduling to look, which is you set it on a year by year basis. That's how I want them to do it nationally. That's a whole other conversation that I could give you a full episode on. And maybe I will one day. Who knows? Like and subscribe wherever you're listening or watching, right? And I'll find out if that happens. But I think when you look at the way college football is set up in these conferences that are able to get these big games, you have to ensure that they are there every single year, and there's just no reason that that they shouldn't be. I mean, a season ago, and part of it is you have to have teams that are competitive enough to to do that right you have to have teams that are winning a high level and the commissioner can't control that they can't control what coaches are hired how teams are run and like all that sort of stuff but what he can control is give them the opportunity when teams are in a position to compete for a conference championship and or a college football playoff berth and they're going through the regular season when it comes time to play one of those big teams or have one of those big games in the pac 12 a Utah and USC or a Utah and Oregon, you ensure that they're playing every year. There's no reason that those three in particular should ever miss each other, and they should all play each other. Oregon should play Utah and USC. Utah should play USC and Oregon. Like They should all play one another. You have to create big-time matchups. I mean, think about college game day, right? When does college game day go to the Pac-12 anymore? Not very often. But when did they do it back in the day when you had Oregon playing USC with Chip Kelly at a high level, when Oregon was playing really good Stanford teams? You, you've had these matchups over the years that have become kind of these uh, these markers for the conference, for outside fans to pay attention and say, oh, I want to watch this Pac-12 game. It's going to be a really good matchup. You have to be willing to create those. But in order to do that, you have to ensure Kind of that that protected rivalry that I was alluding to a moment ago. You have to say, all right, these teams are going to play each other every year no matter what because they're the most established nationally relevant brands that the Pac-12 has. I think you start Oregon, USC, and Utah, I think those three are a tier above the rest right now, but if Washington starts to rebuild back to a college football playoff level, you work them into that fold. And if UCLA continues to improve at a high rate under Chip Kelly, you can work them in there as well because Chip Kelly is a, a pretty big time name in college football, UCLA, not quite as much, but still pretty well known. Look at like a Stanford with David Shaw, same sort of thing. You have to ensure those opportunities are there because what I don't want to see. And the reason I I'm being so adamant about this, I don't want to see a season in which you've got Oregon, playing at a high level and maybe USC playing at a high level, but they don't meet in the regular season, right? They're not meeting in the regular season this year. And I think that's kind of a bummer. (laughs) I I think think that's a bummer from a Pac-12 fans perspective because what you're missing is two first-year coaches at the two premier brands on, on the West Coast when you're talking about college football. You tell me that's not a game that people go and watch, even if neither team, and I don't think either can get to the college football playoff this year. I think Utah is the Pac-12's best shot, but I don't think they're getting there either. Even if neither team can get to that level, you don't think there's a huge swath of college football fans that want to see Lincoln Riley go up against Oregon, offense, offensive head coach against a defensive head coach? One won a national championship a season ago as a coordinator. One wasn't quite able to get there at his last job as a head coach at Oklahoma. I mean, there's a there's a ton of intrigue and interest there. But because of this division structure, you don't have that as a protected rivalry right now. And you definitely should. And I think that's a huge missed opportunity. And I think that's something that they should change going forward. Uh, real quick, what should stay the same? There are a few things that, that, that should stay the same when it comes to Pac-12 scheduling. I think you keep the nine game schedule just because other conferences do eight. I've seen people hop in the YouTube comments and talk about that, by the way, keep commenting, keep the questions coming. You can DM me at smalls underscore 55 or at LO underscore pack 12, or just hop in the YouTube comments as well. Ask me a question. I'll answer it here on the show. Love doing that. Love engaging with all of you out there and appreciate you watching or listening to the show, wherever you're doing that podcasting platform of your choice or on YouTube. But I've seen some of you talking about how, you know, like, oh, the SEC does an eight-game schedule. Yeah, just because they do that doesn't mean I think that we should. (laughs) That's a conference, right? Just because someone else is doing something that I don't like or I think is stupid doesn't mean that I want the Pac-12 to do it. I would rather the SEC, and I forget which other conference it is, that has an eight-game conference schedule move to a nine-game slate because I think that's going to create better matchups and just be better for the sport overall. I don't want to get rid of five games altogether. It's the lifeblood of small colleges across the country, and that's Again, a whole other discussion and such, but keep the nine game schedule and keep the traditional rivalries, right? There's no reason to, to touch anything like the, the Apple Cup or the game formerly known as the Civil War or uh, USC, UCLA, the battle for Los Angeles, also known as the best uniform game in the entire country in college football. It's not close. ASU, Arizona, Cal Stanford, right? You, you keep all of that stuff in place because those are just entrenched rivalries that aren't going to go anywhere. But I think you need to have the ability to analyze based on the previous season, a year by year uh, analysis of, OK, here are the teams we expect to be contenders. We're putting them all against each other because that's how you're going to create the most interest around your conference on a year to year basis. And I think some teams, at least for you know the next five, 10 years, the way that things are shaping up right now, Oregon, Utah and USC are just going to be there for for quite a while dependent upon how long Kyle Whittingham stays at Utah, because there were rumors he might retire after he got to the Rose bowl this year, won a conference championship. He's back, which is great for the conference and great for the Utes as well. Cause he's an outstanding football coach. And I mean, he is Utah football. <laughs> I mean, like you think Utah football, you think Kyle Whittingham first, second and third in your mind, because he's been there for 18 some odd seasons. So I think as long as he is there, Utah is going to be a competitive team of the Pac-12, and they need to be someone who you're trying to feature as much as possible. And I love that they've got Florida on their non-conference schedule. That's something that I'll, that I'll get into next week. <sighs> okay, got to catch my breath a little bit here. Sometimes I just get rolling, and then I'm like, man, I'm kind of tired, kind of, kind of out of breath here. But it's hard, it's hard work sitting down and talking <laughs> for a living. All right. <laughs> Let's move to our next coaching evaluation here and we're going to Corvallis and I'm going to start with all the coaches who have been coaches in the conference already. And then I'll close with the ones who, who are new. Right. So the the Lincoln Riley's, the Dan Lanning's, Kalen DeBoer's of the world, uh, Jake Dickard, a little bit. Right. Those will be uh, towards the latter portion of, of this series. And if you want to catch them all. I'm only doing one in a given episode, so like and subscribe wherever you're listening or watching right now on YouTube. Just hit subscribe, boom. You'll know every time that I'm putting out content. But let's go to Jonathan Smith in, uh, in Corvallis at Oregon State. And for those of you who didn't see my last eval of Chip Kelly, you can go find it on the YouTube channel or listen to a, uh, a recent episode on podcasts as well. But uh, I cut it up, and it should just be a... Uh, its own video there on uh, on, on YouTube. If you want to just go and watch that, not have to filter through the episodes. And so how I'm grading these coaches is I give I give them five grades. There's an overall recruiting game management and scheme, player development and assistant coaching hires, right? Primarily, they're looking at offensive and defensive coordinators. So Jonathan Smith is now in his Sixth season upcoming with Oregon State, which is pretty weird to say, but he took over 2018. So he had 18, 19, 20, 21, 20, fifth year. Sorry, fifth, fifth year, right? One, two, three, eight, nine, 20, 21. Sorry, I'm just doing all this math while I'm while I'm doing the show, but that's okay. Um, bottom line, he's got a 16 and 28 record. He came in and the program was just terrible. I mean, it was as bad as we've ever seen Oregon State football, that's what it was when Jonathan Smith took it over. They went 1 11 in 2017 to this day. That's one of the worst college football teams I've seen at the Power Five level. I mean, seriously, they were, they should have been 0 12. They barely beat Portland State at home. That was their only win. That's a big sky opponent. That's an FCS school. That was not a good year, but Jonathan Smith has turned things around. He has righted the ship in a really big way. His overall grade is a B plus. Now that could actually drop a bit this year if they don't follow up on the success they had a season ago. But if they're still in the seven, eight, nine win rate, especially if they get if they win nine games, this will get bumped up to an A, a solid A. You go from one and eleven to nine and three in five years. That it would be a remarkable turnaround. I don't know if Oregon State can do that this season, but if they go 7 and 5 again, they lost their bowl game last year. That's why they were 7 and 6, they lost to Utah State. 7 and 5, 8 and 4, this could maybe get bumped up because that program was just in such utter disarray, but he has gotten them back to a competitive place where they are not just hoping to be competitive in the Pac-12 North. They're expecting to be competitive in the com- in the division that they're in, which I know doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things for conference championship anymore, but it's still a barometer of of success and progress for them. And so I I give them a B plus. And again, I'm not, I'm not a lot of the college professors that I had, or that some of you have probably had, or high school teachers, I'm not handing out A's. with this is, this is not, this is not charity. All right. This is actual the way if you get an A or an A minus from me here, you're doing something really, really right. B-plus, great place to be. I think Smith is doing a good job. Recruiting, he gets a B-minus. He's done a decent job in the transfer portal over the years. They've brought in some good players through the portal. They weren't able to snag JT Daniels this year, or this might even have been a B. But you know their high school recruiting, they've been about average. It stayed about the same each year when you look at the, the overall composite rankings of the classes they had leading up to when he got hired after the firing of Gary Anderson and then since he's taken over. It's been about the same in the 50 to 60 range nationally in the composite rating. They did have a one-year aberration where they were 109th, but that that was kind of counteracted by a really, really good transfer portal class they had one year. I think it was 2019, maybe 2020. They, they had a, a really, really good year in the portal one season. So I'd say B-minus. You know, I, I think they're about where you'd expect Oregon State to be, but this is not a B. I, I almost went C plus here, but I, I think that I just can't have that high of expectations when you're at Oregon State. It's just it's a tough place to recruit, and, and they haven't won a, a conference championship in, gosh, probably since Jonathan Smith was the quarterback. I, I think I think that was the last time. I'd, I'd have to go go and look honestly, but game management and scheme. I give Smith an a minus here. I I think he's really smart as a play caller and they run, you know, more traditional pro style offense, which kind of fits Oregon state. It it just, it does, you know, it's a, it's a cold weather place and they're not known for being flashy like their in state counterpart or anything of the sorts is they're just kind of old school, punch you in the mouth, run the ball, grind it out. I think they use play action better than anybody else in the PAC 12 conference. I think he's a smart offensive mind. He, he scores a lot of points. The, the stats back that up. And I, I've been really impressed with what they've done offensively. Only reason this isn't an A, for, you know, I'm, I'm looking at how the X's and O's proceed on Saturdays when I'm talking about game management and scheme is because the defenses haven't been there. And the defenses have been pretty poor, but they've improved enough to the point where Oregon State is now above 500. I just can't undersell enough how big of a how how much growth that shows as a head coach and what you're doing is working in a program. When you go from what they were in 2017 to now expecting to be a contender in the PAC 12 North five years later, that that is a tremendous, tremendous job. And you have to do that by winning on Saturdays because Jonathan Smith is not going to be able to bring in the, these elite level recruiting classes that you see at, at USC or, at, uh, at Oregon or we've seen Stanford bring in some big time recruits, or even Arizona Corvallis is damn near impossible to recruit, right? They don't have the facilities that Oregon have. And I, I just, or Oregon has, I think that's how English works. And they're in a place that's kind of geographically isolated. It rains a lot. You know, that's why somewhere like Arizona or Stanford I think can get above them because a lot easier when it's sunny on your campus to pitch a recruit on, on coming there and such. And so, the the defenses have been lacking, but he is able to do a lot with not as much talent as some of these other schools, and that's why I think he is a really smart schematic coach, as good as there is in the conference as well. I mean, I, I really, really high on Jonathan Smith in that sense. You have to consider, also have to consider, he was offensive coordinator at Washington, you know, for for those great Chris Peterson teams. Like the, the guy knows, the guy knows what he's doing. Uh, speaking of recruiting. Uh, or sorry, I was just talking about recruiting. Uh Speaking of the players on the roster, player development, I'm giving a C plus, which again is not bad, right? Some of you get C plus on an English paper. You think, oh my gosh, I did so many things wrong. No, a C plus for me, that's not, I'm old school with it. That is not a bad place to be. Now, I think that C plus here is accurate because we haven't seen amazing quarterback development yet, but there's a chance for that this year. This get this could get bumped up all the way to a B, I think, if Chance Nolan takes a big leap forward in 2022. But when you're looking at a place like Oregon State, and I was talking about the, the recruiting base and how difficult it is because it, it, it truly is difficult to recruit there in Corvallis, program development is only possible if you have player development. That was really, really tough for me to get out, so I'm going to say it again. Program development is only possible at a place like Oregon State if you have player development. You bring guys in as a three or sometimes two-star recruits or a low rate of four stars and whatnot every now and then, but primarily you're working with three-star guys. You have to develop them into solid players, and you can't win games if you're not able to do that. And so that's why I think they've done a solid job. But I think you know, for someone who makes his money on the offensive side of the ball – if Chance Nolan is able to take a big step forward that will be a, a real real uh, uh what's the what I don't even know what word I'm looking for it starts with a v not validifying. <laughs> I don't even I don't even know um anyway just just a struggle here down the stretch today everybody's just major major struggle at the moment anyway C plus in player development for Jonathan Smith uh finally Assistant hires, I again go C+. Plus. You've got one guy over here, and you got one guy over here. A lot like Chip Kelly at UCLA. Jerry Azanero was over here at the bad end, and Justin Fry was over here at the really good end. Same thing for Jonathan Smith. Brian Lindgren, offensive coordinator, that's an A. That is an A because he's actually the play caller, I believe. It's not Jonathan Smith, which is really uncommon for someone who's a former coordinator, but he doesn't call the plays. I think Lindgren is sharp. He is so sharp, in fact, that a program that I I think has a little bit more money around their football program, I believe, in Arizona State, offered him the offensive coordinator job. He didn't want it. He wanted to stay at Oregon State. But the fact that another school in the conference wanted to poach him away is a testament to him being a really good hire. And the offenses, as I've said, have been very productive. I think they've been very smart as well. The uh, reason that the assistant hires are C-plus is because Tim Tibisar I apologize if I'm not pronouncing that correctly. I don't think Oregon State fans will care that much because I give him a D plus. Some Beaver fans might even give him an F. Those defenses were not getting any better. The program improved primarily because the offense improved, but the defensive struggles continued. They're hoping Trent Bray, who's going to be a first-time coordinator, I believe, promoted from within on that staff, they're hoping he's going to be able to help to make a, a step forward. And it's going, to, it's going to be something to watch, you know, because if they can just be solid defensively, the offense will score enough points, they could win eight, nine games. I, I really, really think that. But if the defense is still kind of middling, then it, it might be a, another 6-7 win season for the Bees. But Tibisar was um, no good. It's just it, it, there was not improvement there. While there was improvement on the offensive side of the ball, so I think it was pretty glaring in that sense. And so, A and D plus bring it down uh, overall to about a C plus, maybe B minus. But, you know, overall, Jonathan Smith, B plus, he's rebuilt this program to uh, a solid team in the Pac-12, and they were just not that when he took over. I appreciate everyone listening. I will see you next time and have a wonderful rest of your day.